Hey there, it's Erica, and you're listening to Better Product. We're the show that celebrates great digital products and the people and processes that make them stronger. Messaging is the story we tell about our product, but how do we know if we're telling the right story? There's a lot of wisdom out there that will tell you your story needs to stand out. But to get there, you need to understand a few key things about your audience and the bigger picture surrounding your product. We're exploring this question and more in today's episode. Christian and Megan will start with best practices for product messaging, dive into some real-life examples, and call out some messaging red flags to avoid. But first, you'll want to hear us attempt to message our own lives, from comment section arguments to Humphrey Bogart. Let's get into it. Okay. Well, hello. It's a bright and sunny day in Indianapolis. Life is good. How is it in New York? It's also bright and sunny. I was on the roof during lunch. It's so nice. Okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry I asked. Anyway, Erica, continue. (laughs) Well, welcome back, everyone. We are here to talk about product messaging today. Super excited for this. We've had several questions come in from the community recently about this topic. So, yeah, we're just going to get right into it. Now, in the tradition of what we've been doing the last few episodes, I wanted to start by asking an icebreaker Megan, Christian, it's not a secret this time, so don't hate me. (laughs) Um, But in the spirit of like messaging our lives, I wanted to ask if you had a life motto, what would it be? Yeah, so even though Erica gave this to us ahead of time, uh, I still had a lot of trouble coming up with something. Uh, And I didn't want to do something, you know, serious or a little too heavy for this. And so I, I leaned into probably my more... Um, fun motto, which is actually a quote originally from Humphrey Bogart. And before I knew it was a quote by him, I feel like I felt this way for a while. And the quote is that everyone in the world is three drinks behind. If everybody would just take three drinks, we'd have no trouble anymore. (laughs) And um, I've always really liked that quote because it just, you know, alcoholism aside, we're not going to go down that route. Um, Drinking makes things a little bit lighter. You know, you take more risks, you get out of your comfort zone, you have a little bit more fun when you're three drinks in. And I feel like a lot more people could take that to heart. And I feel like that's something I try to take to heart, you know, without drinking is that like, look, what would I do if I were three drinks in, in this situation, I would try to take a little bit more of a risk, I do something I wouldn't normally do. I would try to make every situation as fun as possible. And if drinking isn't your thing, I guess it could be metaphorical drinks, drinking from the cup of life, wow. uh, living it up, wow. making. <laughs> well, not no. I take a metaphorical shot every time Christian speaks. Actually, yeah. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. You can take a shot of life. Sure, you can do that. I think this is like this is Megan's passive aggressive way because she knows after three drinks I'm usually asleep. So what she's actually saying is, "Hey, Christian." Take three drinks and take a nap. Yeah. No, you're right. Doesn't have to be. I, I really can't. I can't like drink at all anymore. But I'm I'm with you. I think like it like it's I don't know what it what was that book. That's a Malcolm Gladwell book where he like talks about this. And it was talking about how drinking doesn't just like make you more open. It almost like shifts your focus to to not worry about the downside risk. And I think that's kind of like what you're saying. And um 
I don't actually know. I mean, Humphrey Bogart was like an act, an actor, Casablanca. right? See, you know the movie, but Eric, you said you didn't know who he was. I didn't know who he was. I've seen the movie like one time. Well, I haven't even seen the movie. I don't really watch anything that's like pre, what year is it? 22? Yeah, I mean, pre like 2010. My kids are like really extreme. Like I've never been able to watch the black and white movies, but yeah. All right. Well, Humphrey Bogart, always with us with his quotes. Um, so I... Uh, don't have like a lot of sayings. So mine is kind of mine is kind of silly and I'm going to make it not as silly. And this is a this is really a a, a core one that, that Megan and I have really bonded over for years. There was a quote in a message board on designer news, which I don't know if designer news isn't around anymore, but really around like the 2010s, the aughts, like everybody at designer news on their like open browser window in the design world. And it was like a way to keep up on like the top, like news stories in there. And I just, I don't even remember what one of the stories was, but somebody was just criticizing something and somebody just came in and typed a comment that said, pump breaks, mean girl. And for some reason, pump breaks, mean girl has become this almost like inside of innovate map meme. And we still use it today and we're like passing it down to new generations of innovate mappers to use. And I don't know, it's like a lighthearted way to not take things as seriously. So it's kind of similar to what you're saying. But for me personally, and what I like what I'm working on even right now in like my life is to like slow down. So like I genuinely think of when I was on Twitter, when I got on social media, I was full. I'm so, I mean, I'm so opinionated. I was like, it was not a healthy relationship. So I have to like dial it back and just like have perspective. So really like in my life right now, I genuinely am like pumping the brakes all the time just to give myself time to get perspective. So are you saying at some point Christian got in Twitter fights? with people yeah like yeah. the type where like it would like be in my head like they're like my wife was like you need to get off twitter for a week but that was just like get right back on it yeah i've gotten into many arguments yeah at least yeah send you to twitter rehab yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this quote is still like it happened what at least five years ago i think i say it at least once a week still to this day like it came up we were talking about something completely different right before recording this episode and i said it to christian and he's like that's funny that's what my life motto is but going to be yeah i should i wish there was a way to search for that code there probably is no way and just find the person who said it i bet they've got other gems there's some people who are really good this is the other reason i had to get off twitter it's like i'm not good at distilling down my thoughts like I can talk and have really good conversations and like debates verbally and keep it, keep it like, okay. But on Twitter, I struggle. Like I can't write like really short, concise things. And there's some people who are just really good at it. Maybe you're just three drinks behind. <laughs> I probably am. <laughs> That's a way to make that come full circle. Absolutely. Well, to get to today's topic, again, we're talking about product messaging. I would love to start just by defining even what messaging is in case, you know, we have people who aren't used to marketing terminology. Um, would love to do some education on that. Yeah, I can do that. So when we talk about messaging, it's different from positioning. So 
And some people even differentiate messaging and copy. So if we're talking about those three things separately, positioning is what you are, who you are as a company, what you do, for whom, and the benefit you deliver. It is the most most it is the most literal truthful description of what your company does and it's actually a lot harder to define than people think and that's why we run positioning workshops and and do that for some of our clients but it is supposed to be at its core true and it's also supposed to be a north star that can guide your product decisions as well messaging is born from positioning. So when you have your foundational statement, your positioning statement, you also have benefit pillars, which are kind of differentiators for you as a company. And around each of those pillars, you build out your messaging. So it's probably the top three or so benefits or differentiators you offer for your audience in the market. And then you build your messaging around those by pulling in like how your features or how your product enables this benefit for your users, your buyers. And a lot of times messaging then becomes persona-based. Let's say if your buyers and your users are two different people, or if you have different types of users or different types of buyers, messaging is how you speak to different people individually, different groups individually. It's how your positioning statement kind of gets activated in the world. And then if you want to further define it or granulize it. Copy is actually putting the final polish on the messaging that gets out there externally. I have a dumb question before we continue. Mm -hmm. Like you, cause you said, you said earlier, messaging is harder than most people think when we're talking about our clients. Then my dumb question is why do you think it's harder than, I don't know the right way to ask this, I guess, you know, why do people think it's easy and, or why is it harder than it seems on the surface? Yeah, it's a great question. So I actually said positioning is harder than most people think, but- Well, I think messaging <laughs> is harder. Okay, okay. shoot, but I'll, sorry. No, I'll, start, um, I'll well, start from the beginning, which is, uh, or like answering both pieces of your question. Um, when you say, like when you give somebody the prompt, describe what your company does, especially if it's a founder, that sounds like it should be a very easy question. And it's frequently not a very easy question because founders either one get like too caught up in the technical aspects that they have to be like thinking about and nerding out on every day, or they start thinking about like how to explain this um, to four different audiences and trying to lump all those ways together rather than explaining like the very truth and the very core of what the company is and does. So positioning It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to sound great. It can be like a really long run on sentence. It just has to be true. And then messaging is how you actually activate that and explain that externally. And so that's where it gets really hard for people to kind of separate the two um, or they start going down rabbit holes when different types of personas get involved. That makes sense. This was a hard thing for me to learn um, because it's not my background. Mm -hmm. I think about it like uh, like as a person for me, the way I relate it is sort of like the way you'd explain what you do if you're hanging out with your friends or if you're at a, like a family reunion or to your spouse. Like it's just you use different things. I love how you said as, as long as it's true, but there's like different levels you can you can explain it to. What I've witnessed you do a lot of times, Megan, too, is like you have those people when they try to serve all the audiences, when you said lump them together, I always feel like when they do that, the 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 positioning is like really generic 
And then the messaging that comes out of it is really generic as well, because you can't serve that many different people. Would you, does that, do you see that happening? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I really like the example you gave of like explaining it to different groups of people. So let's say like my positioning statement about my role or my career would be what I say to, let's say a company in an interview, I'd be like as specific and as truthful as possible because that company probably knows what my role is as well. If I'm explaining it to my friends, I'm like, I work for an agency that works with startups and we help startups figure out what they look like and what they should sound like out in the world. My friends get that. They get tech startups. If I'm talking to my grandma, I'm like, yeah, I design websites for companies. Like that's, that's definitely not exactly what I do. I did that at one point, but I do inform what the websites say, what the websites look like, and she knows what a website is. So that's kind of how persona-based messaging gets activated. So important message, know your audience and who you're talking to, and don't assume that every kind of message you could create is going to land with everybody, just to summarize. Yeah, that's great. Um, really appreciate the definitions, the back and forth there. That's awesome, just to give us a foundation. As much as we can provide best practices, good strategies to emulate to our audience, what what have been, I guess, in your experience for both of you, um, since you've both worked with so many products, some attributes of really good messaging? Do you want me to go first, Christian? Do you want to go first? I don't really care. I've been yeah, you're the lot. expert. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're the expert. And then I'll um, maybe have to Yeah. <laughs> well, a few things that all really good messaging has in common would be clarity for sure. So clarity of description, clarity of intention, um, making sure you are using the most accurate words as possible, obviously, so that you're not misleading your buyers or your users. I would say another thing all good messaging has is a distinct voice. So a lot of times that'll depend on your brand and what you define your brand voice to be. And that will change from company to company. So not every company will have, you know, a fun tone. And like, so sometimes people think that great messaging has a really fun tone, like Dollar Shave Club or something like that, because it's something that people as consumers find entertaining, but not every company can afford to be entertaining. So really great messaging for a B2B SaaS company probably has a, a very different tone than something like Dollar Shave Club. Um, but to, can I clarify that point? Because you're not saying, because yeah. I've seen this, been this has been brought up by like our brand team, but I, I think a lot of times B2B companies go into this, like, I have to be super dressed up and formal all the time messaging, and they might sacrifice that human element that will connect with their buyers too. So I don't know, is there some kind of like middle ground you recommend for like being formal enough, but also leaving yourself some room to connect with people in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think that every B2B company is sentenced to having to be as boring as possible in their messaging. I do think there are ways you can bring in some brand personality and different tones of voice, but I think the most, uh, the easiest way for B2B companies to be more human is to talk simply, like explain this, like you would be explaining it to not just your coworker who actually built the technology but somebody who might not know anything about this. Yeah, I think some, maybe somewhat related. I've been trying to think of the right uh, word for what I'm thinking, and I, I, I can't really come up with it. But I feel like good messaging not only describes who you are, but it should be very clear who you're not 
and be and and yes, you could say who you're not in the whole world, and it'll be infinite. But I think baked into that is positioning because we're we're really just talking to the audience that might be vetting your product in a space. So when we say like it should be clear who you're not, implied in that is who you're not within whatever space. If you're building a new CRM, we say what you're not. We're saying you don't need to say you're not uh, like an e-com company, whatever. That's obvious. We're talking about you know, acknowledging who the leaders are in your space or there's some you know standard in there or there's some way of doing something. Um, and, and you kind of hinted at this you know, earlier, uh, Megan, when you're talking about people that speak in their technical speak, what's in their head, the same thing comes out in messaging with ideas. It's really hard for people to like stop. It's like, oh, we're this. Oh, and we're also this. And we're also this. And if you actually talk to a lot of founders, they'll be like, we can actually do everything. And that's kind of true in their head because they're in future land and that's what they hope to get to. But in the early stages, even like at a million in ARR, when you're getting close to like a series A, you still don't have the like market share that you really dream of. So I think it's more powerful if you can be clear who you are not in the beginning, even if it's a little bit more uncomfortable because a counterintuitive thing that happens is by doing that, you're actually going to get more buyers than you will if you try to be everything to everybody. Right. It's this paradox of, of claiming a niche. Like you think you're going to be more successful and get more customers by saying that you do it all because that opens up a larger pool of potential customers, but it really doesn't. It turns a lot more people off because they think there's no way you can do all of this, or if you can, there's no way you do all of it well. And then you're really not speaking to anybody in particular when you're trying to speak to everyone. Yeah, I think I don't want to go too much because I know we're going to cover like bad messaging here in a minute. But you you got me thinking another thing. Again, I, I say these in really elementary ways when I'm talking to founders because it's outside my expertise. So I'll be I'll break it down and say you're probably thinking of messaging from big brands that you know in your life. And they operate on a different playbook. So if you're watching ads, right, and you're seeing what Apple does or you're seeing what even Microsoft is doing, whether you realize it or not, a lot of people, unless you are an expert in in product marketing, you're probably subconsciously have been affected by big brands on billboards, which isn't bad. But the, the, the challenge is you have to understand all of those have millions or do millions in revenue or billions, they have millions of users or customers. They are 10, 20, 30, 50 years old. When you're in the early stages, it's a, just a different playbook. You actually don't have the same equity that you're dealing with. And so the words you're using, in my opinion, to your point, Megan, have to be way more clear about what you do and actually just be specific, articulate about that rather than what the bigger brands would do. This prompts a question for me. I mean... I love this comparison between like not being too aspirational, wanting to get to a big brand before you're ready. So for startups, I guess what have been some best examples you've seen of messaging at that early stage? All the ones I've done. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. That's a really great question. I mean, I already mentioned Dollar Shave Club. It's a one of those direct-to-consumer giants that they really went all in on, on tone and brand in their messaging. Um, and they really resonated with a particular type of consumer that way. So I have one that I just, and I'll, I'll, I'll share something I have open on my browser right now. 
Um, Because what I want to say as an answer to that, Erica, is that sometimes it's really hard to think of good messaging because the reality is if it's good, you're kind of like, I don't know, it it just, it's, um, you don't think about it. It's like good design is not noticed, right? It's a similar thing. So for example, if you're looking for a product if the messaging's good, more times than not, you don't notice it. You just start using the product or you buy. What Megan's talking about is like these examples of messaging where like it sticks out. Like locally here in town, we have a company called Cluster Truck, which has been uh, an amazing company to do food delivery. We remember their messaging here locally because it's always had this sort of like renegade rebel aspect, but that's not required to have good messaging. Having good messaging, I think sometimes is just being like really clear. So um, with that in mind, what's in my head, I would say this new app I just found out called Clay, which is very funny because there's actually two new apps I know called Clay. And one is like a database, you know, sort of like, you know, uh, Airtable-esque type tool. This one is clay.earth. And at the top of their site, I mean, the site could be improved. Um, It's just a big picture of an iPhone in their app, which I think is not great. But if you scroll down their very first you know, tagline is be more thoughtful with people. And that's what I saw. And as I just started scrolling through the site and I'm just reading the, the taglines, everyone you know in one place, deepen your relationships. None of those individual phrases sound like, wow, that's so unique. But I understood exactly what it was. And the like, the sign that it's a good app for me on my browser is that I keep the tab open because it means I'm going to come back and use it. So this was this like passed my test of like, did I get what it was immediately and connect it to something I could? And in this case, I was like, oh, man, I've been looking for something almost like a personal CRM for like the last eight years of my life with all the people I meet and just keeping track. So that just connected immediately. Be more thoughtful with people was the first line. I was like, that's exactly what I've been wanting. So for me, it was, I didn't notice the messaging. I just liked it. And it's notable the messaging had nothing to do with the tech itself, really. It's more about the end outcome. The app could be garbage, honestly. I don't know. I shouldn't criticize it. Let's just imagine it's amazing. Maybe we'll have the clay people on here. But <laughs> but yeah, to your point, like I actually have no idea what's behind it. All I know is it did its first job well, which is it got me to want to use it and I'm going to. Yeah. I have another example too that I just remembered. I scrolled back through our inspiration channel where we post uh, any of the links that we see. And I've recently been posting some messaging inspiration. And one of them is Ozone, which is um, a new startup that I actually found through the Z Founder newsletter, the core, um, what's the word I'm looking for, that um, finds and highlights Gen Z startups. And they Ozone is basically Figma for video editing. It's cloud-based collaborative video editing. And it sounds really awesome. I sent it to our design team immediately, but also just their one-page scrolling homepage was so, so clear. And I got the value Mm -hmm. immediately. Did they say like Figma for video or was was that your words? I think that maybe Z Founder may have said it. If not, it's mine. I don't think they put it on their website. I'm not sure. Tell me what you think about this, because I was thinking like, I think if you can get the the uh, recipient of your messaging to make that analogy on their own, it's really powerful. Like they could ozone could be like, it's like Figma for blank, but it's so much more powerful if they message it and position it at the core 
in a way where you as a viewer are like, you know what, this is like blank for blank. Yeah, like if somebody from Ozone had originally pitched me and said, we're a cloud-based video editing platform that you can collaborate with your you know, fellow designers, coworkers, whatever on, immediately I would have thought, oh, Figma for video. And I think that's, yeah, making those associations. We make fun of like the Uber for whatever has become so tired. But yeah, getting somebody to make connections immediately is another hallmark of good messaging, I think. That's awesome. It, t- it takes me all the way back to the, I know this is more of a joke episode or um, I don't know. We joked a lot in that episode, but this the, is a joke episode. This is not a joke episode. I've been I'm making actually, some real lame jokes. This episode I know. This I, I'm referring to an older episode, actually, um, the one on brand sketching, where we were looking at an app for people after they broke up to get their stuff back from their ex. And they were adopting the brand and messaging kind of of post dates. Um, or Postmates, excuse me, that was called Postdates. And while, yeah, the messaging is different because they're focused on different things, but it kind of like is that same process and it helps people make that connection, you know, when they encounter uh, the Postdates product. So, yeah, that's kind of what that reminds me of. That's an interesting callback, though, because yeah. like the power of analogies, I mean, humans just make comparisons and the power of analogy and metaphors, I think, should be utilized but when you think about messaging, it's a way to, and it's like inception. I mean, everything is about trying to get someone else to come to the conclusion. Okay. Like if you're a parent and you're trying to get your kids to do something, it's better if you can get them to want to do it rather than tell them. Uh, it's the same in like selling. Like if you can get someone to want to buy something without telling them to buy it, I think it's the same thing here with messaging. If analogies are really helpful to make a comparison between something that's innovative and new and unknown and risky to something that they do know, that's good. You should want to do that because it is risky. Um, and you need, you need tools like metaphors to help get people to see how something they've never seen would fit into their daily life. And so if you can create messaging that allows you to make those analogies themselves, I think it's really powerful. Uber for dogs. How would that work? What's right. now called? Well, it's it's actually the dog is the driver. Uh, no, um, no, we came up with this years ago. It was actually supposed to be somebody comes and picks up your dog and takes them yeah. for a walk, and now that is Rover. But the new the new version of this is it is the dogs are the drivers. But the key that people have to remember is it has to be a self driving car because we have tried with dogs they actually can't drive cars. <laughs> But cats can. Cats can. Yeah, obviously. Toons is a driving cat. Old SNL skit. Yeah, I mean, cats have been driving cars. I don't know. Who can prove that they didn't invent them? But how great would it be if these self-driving car companies just threw a dog in there? Like, how amazing would that? We would all accept self-driving cars if they had dogs behind the wheel. It'd be adorable. (laughs) Right? No, I don't know. I saw a video of a self-driving car car getting... (laughs) I saw a video of a self-driving car get pulled over by the cops. Have you seen this? Oh, yeah. I think I just saw that, too. No. And the cop gets out and comes around to the car. And there's nobody there. And then the car drives drives on. And it was just like the car had no, like, acknowledgement of the police officer at all. And the cop didn't know what to do either. So the car, it just, like, escaped. It just, like, blew through a traffic stop. Imagine if it were a but dog. Anyway, I, like, imagine if he'd come up to the window and, like, right? it's like, it rolled down the window and a dog, like, jumped out and licked his face. 
Oh my, that would be amazing. We okay. I'm actually for robot um, cars now. This changed my perspective. Another episode. Anyway, Erica, where are we at? Are we still? Are we on to dogs? Um, okay. Well, we're running not low on time, but I wanted to do really quickly, maybe like a rapid fire round of takes on bad messaging. So, what are the red flags? What are common traps? Uh, Megan, you first. And we'll just do it quickly, like just rattle off a few messaging traps is what I'm going to call them that people think are good, but they're actually not. Yeah. So one of the biggest questions I get asked and things I see when it comes to messaging, especially externally, is who should I be talking to? You know, who should I be prioritizing if I have different audiences? How should I be talking to each of them and who should come first? You know, what if I have to explain this to investors versus the actual customers? What if, God forbid, I have a marketplace with people on both sides or uh, maybe it's two different audiences using the product in different ways? Like, how do I explain it to all these different groups? And we were actually running a workshop recently and I got a couple different versions of this same question. And so one thing that people end up doing uh, when it, when they create bad messaging is they message to the wrong person for, or they prioritize the wrong audience uh, or they try to prioritize everyone at once, which I know we've touched on that earlier in the episode. It just creates kind of like a big mess of saying nothing to anyone. And so one of the specific examples that I was asked about was this startup has a product that is on the back end extremely technical, like the whatever the product they've built and developed is incredibly impressive and intelligent and any investor would want to invest in technology like this. On the other hand, they're using this technology to create and power a product for, I won't get into the details, but like a mom and pop shop, essentially. So like your parents, if they owned their own business and they were asking me, like, how do we explain how powerful and how impressive and important our technology is? while also like explaining to these people who we're trying to serve our potential customers what we do in the simplest terms. And I was like, you need to speak to your customer. Like that's who you're selling to. That's who should be prioritized on the front page of your website. You should be explaining this simply and clearly and stating the benefit for them. Those mom and dad, mom and pop shops don't give a shit. Honestly, like what technology goes into this as long as it's making their life easier and doing what they want it to do. And that's why they're going to pay for it. And then when you speak to investors, yeah, you have a couple slides in your deck on the actual technology behind it and how it works and how impressive it is. Maybe if you get a little bit bigger, you even have a product page on your website that goes into that detail, but maybe not because your your target audience still isn't going to care. The other question I got asked was... Um, Similar, it was, okay, we have a couple different audiences. It was a marketplace. We have buyers and sellers of this service on our marketplace. Which one do we speak to or do we need to speak to both? And if so, how do we balance? So my advice was you do have to prioritize one over the other. Even in a marketplace, you need to pick one. And in traditional sales-led or marketing-led growth, you are prioritizing who's paying. Obviously, that's kind of what's going to keep your company afloat. So is it the seller who is paying to have a listing on your site? Is it the customers who are paying for the seller and then you're taking a piece of that transaction? Whoever's paying, you could prioritize and that would be traditional sales-led growth. Or you could prioritize the early adopters. So if the sellers are the ones you really need to get on there and get listing their services, 
then maybe you prioritize them because the more sellers you have, the more popular this is going to become and the more it's going to grow. That's product-led growth. So like Slack actually prioritized messaging to employees who would get on. And even if they were on free accounts and not paying, the more employees got on an account, the more businesses actually wanted to kind of take it under their own umbrella and start paying for it for all their employees to use cohesively. So as Michael was talking, I was trying to figure out the right sort of, uh, I don't know, metaphor, like example to explain, explain this one. But so designers love this quote by, I'm going to try to get this right, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, a French uh, designer. And he said, a designer knows he has achieved perfection, not when there's nothing left to add, but when there is nothing left to take away. I'm sure a lot of people have heard or seen some variation of this, and I still agree with it. But I would think about it when it comes to messaging. Here's the funny side. I was thinking of like Marie Kondo or anybody who's been on these like (laughs) order shows and the pain that goes through people when they have to get rid of things that aren't that important. If you want another funny example, have you ever seen the Dr. Rick commercials for Progressive where it's these like series of ads so you don't become your parents? And there's like there's like this one, like one of the first ones where he's like throwing away the live, laugh, love sign. And he's like, do we really need this sign? And she's like got this pained look or this other one where he's like shopping with this guy and he's buying a shirt at the mall. And he's like, do we recognize this shirt? And he's like, no, I don't know. And he looks and he's wearing it. And he's like, yeah, you already have it. And he's like, I'm still going to get another one. And that's how I feel like that's what bad messaging is. It's like when there's too much, there's too many variations on the same thing. And so if you flip it around to like, how would you do that? If it kind of hurts to get rid of it, I think it's worth a try. I think if you just whittle some of your messaging down to like, it's just bare essence, you will err, you will have, I think if you err on the side of less, you will have way more success than erring on the side of more. I bring it up here because you talk about red flags. Anybody who doesn't have a lot of confidence or experience in marketing, myself included, will err on the side of adding so many different things, so many different ways of saying things or so many different features they want to highlight. That would be something to avoid. And I think uh, piggybacking off of that, um, something that happens, it it seems counterintuitive, but when uh, there's too much messaging, sometimes it's still missing that so what or who cares. And it's, it's so often that messaging just gets so descriptive and it doesn't get into like the actual benefit and the value. It's just more describing literally what the product is rather than it, what it does and for whom. And so when you're writing messaging, a best practice is if you're still asking the question, so what or who cares at the end of your sentence, you probably are missing that really value-based piece. Yeah, that's good. I want, I'll just add one more. This will be quick too. I think inauthentic is something, I think this gets a little bit into brand voice as well, but you can do pretty much anything you'd like with the way you want to talk, as long as it is authentic to how you might talk or some variation of you. And that's really important too, because some people can get caught up creating messaging that's trying to follow a trend or that's clearly like being inspired by a brand that talks away. If you don't feel that way, it's not going to come out authentic. And I feel like hopefully we've made clear too that even in the digital world, like it's still people. And if you're a startup, you're still doing founder selling. Like 
your messaging has to be kind of similar to how you're talking about the product. It should be the best version of how you'd speak. And to, to Megan's point, like you shouldn't be saying how you would think about it. You should be speaking to other people, but it still has to be authentic. Cause I think if you get too far away from that people, whether they know why or not, they can, they can sort of sense the inauthenticity that, that comes through. It, you just can't, you can't avoid that. Yeah. And that's what would happen if like a B2B SaaS company started speaking like Dollar Shave Club, you know, like that, yeah, you need to, they have the right to be a little bit more human in their messaging. But if they started speaking that way, people would call BS immediately. I mean, I do see companies that do that and I'm not going to call out names, but there's a lot of people <laughs> that think they're really clever and like, it's well done, but it's so hard to ignore like, you're a B2B SaaS right. company, man. Stop talking like that. Just it's okay. It's your scarlet letter. Yeah. Pump breaks, mean girl. <laughs> Pump breaks, mean girl. Oh, oh, Humphrey Bogart. Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> well, thank you so much for all of your insights. Great details. Um, to our community, to our listeners, keep these questions coming. Today's episode was actually inspired by several identical questions we got this week uh, from people. So if you have something on your mind about product, Send me a DM and Slack if you're with us there. If not, you can email us. All that's in the description. We appreciate you hanging out with us. And this has been another episode of Better Product. Thanks for joining us. And if you haven't yet, be sure to join the Better Product community. We've got all sorts of content and resources for you. And if you want more audio, don't forget The Business of Product is our latest show to join the Better Product Network. And you can find that and more at betterproduct.community.